We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And the Lakers get rocked in Houston yesterday, uh, 128 to 94. Uh, Anthony Davis does not play. Jackson Hayes is out. Rui comes back. But Lakers just wire to wire lost down double digits in the first quarter again. And D, these type of games, and this was kind of the sentiment in the post-game interviews, where I didn't enter this game with the expectation of winning. Houston's been playing well. I think that was their fourth straight win. They held three straight teams under 100 points. But I also think it's folly to completely disregard and be like, ah, just got to wait for our guys to get back, right? And I think yeah. there's been some established trends over the course of these first eight games that I do think are worth looking at, especially on the offensive end, right? Where I look at the starting lineup that played last night, D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, Prince, and Christian Wood, those are five good offensive players, right? And the Lakers are now 28th in offense. And I've got some stats I'll bring up later about um, how stylistically different we are um, than a lot of the other five-out teams. But I do think it's totally fair to evaluate a game like that, even with all of the injuries, at least on the offensive end. And it's one where it's like, you lose that game 135 to 128 or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's how you should have lost the game, right? There are certain things that when you're without as much size as we're without. and it's part of the intentional roster decisions that we made in terms of like the type of backup bigs that we have and where if AD goes out, there isn't another like defensive stalwart, right? And so there's a certain amount of like, yeah, I get why we're giving up second chance points and just interior presence isn't much of a thing, but we can't score D. We're a bad offensive team. And so, you know, in terms of wins and losses, it's less about that for me coming off of this game than it is the offense and just a general level of competitiveness and spirit that, um, you know, several of the reporters brought up and LeBron kind of pushed back on that. But yeah, man, we're we're in a bad place right now. And um, I think that it's folly to just be like, ah, just wait for the guys to get back. It is folly. I have a piece that I'm going to have to write that is pro- will probably go up at silver screen and roll tomorrow. And around this time of the week, I'm always fishing for ideas like, oh, what should I write, write about and thinking about stuff. And the idea that kept coming back to me um, 
during last night's game and then after post game, listening to Scarvin talk and even listening to LeBron talk a little bit and thinking about it more this morning is that there's more wrong with the Lakers than just their injuries. Mm -hmm. I do think the injuries are super important. Like you've talked about this idea of the Mendoza line a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Lakers have dipped below it in multiple areas just through the span of eight games, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, once you're out a certain number of guys or a certain number of guys at a certain position, it becomes like, oh, that guy doesn't do the thing you're asking him to do well. So just to contextualize this a little bit, because I know that now that the Lakers are three and five and they've gotten blown out in two of their last three games, that there's going to be a lot of like, what's wrong with the Lakers? That talk has already started. I'm I'm an observer of national discourse around the Lakers just because I want to try to hear what outsiders think. I think what outsiders think is super important, just like I think outsiders should also value what like internal people think. And sometimes that doesn't go the same way. (laughs) What I will say, though is that the injuries like that that idea like of the Mendoza line for a minute there they had like no forwards like Rui and Vando were mm. both out and then when Hayes went out it was a like okay you've reached a critical juncture yeah. where you do not have enough size now i would also say that with Vando being out and with Gabe being out for as long as he's been out the Lakers have reached this critical mass with like not having enough point of attack defense, Mm -hmm. right? And so now you don't have the point of attack defense. And now with both Hayes and AD out, even though Rui comes back, so you have like, okay, I've swapped out one sort of bigger player for another bigger player. I thought Rui played great. Pretty much one of the only players that did, yes. But you now have a deficit at point of attack defense and a deficit at like rim protection. Yeah. And that's really it's bad. like you, your defense is going to get slaughtered mm-hmm. that way. They're going to get slaughtered beyond the ways in which sort of the lack of perimeter strength it shows up regardless. Right. That's right. So there's just these issues there that need to be contextualized with like who has actually been out and how much it's contributed to like these just deficits getting chipped away at consistently from the strength of the team. And it's just like cutting out a leg from the table. It's like, well, why is my table leaning? It's well, you cut off a whole leg. Mm -hmm. Things are going to go poorly. Absolutely. But again, I think on the offensive end in particular, like that explains a lot of the defense, right? But like, why can't five good players score consistently? This is where I just wanted to contextualize that piece of things because I think that that is important to the overall nature oh, of the team. I mean, it's the biggest thing right now, right? Like you have to yes. have the guys in order to, that That said, yeah. But, and this is where it's like projections are super interesting to me, because I think if the team was getting more defensive stops and they had, and they were playing with a little bit more verve and they had a little bit more of that sort of like toughness, they would probably get in transition more. They would score better. The offense wouldn't be quite this bad. So I want to zero in on like the half court offense, which mm-hmm. I think is the whole point of this idea. That's of, right. Well, you just threw out five good offensive players. Well, yes, right. That means we should be seeing better production out of the half court offense because this team is going to their transition offense is going to suffer. I think if they're not rebounding as well or if they're not getting enough stops, of that's course. where transition. That's where transition offense comes from. Right. But in the half court, we are seeing, I think, a lack of organization, commitment, understanding, and execution. And those are like 
the fundamentals of like what makes you perform on one side of the ball or or another. You can't be without all of those things, Pete. And the Lakers currently are. And so <laughs> when I started my whole little spiel about things I've been wanting to write, write about and the idea that there's more wrong with the Lakers than injuries, this is what I'm talking about here. Now, the injuries are going to sap some of that um, belief. It's yeah. going to sap some of that resolve. It's like you're going to look down the bench and you're going to see half the team in street clothes and you're going to be like, like, do we have enough? And yeah. you're going to start to question. And when things start to go poorly, you may not have all of that same fight in you when you don't see all of your brothers there ready to fight with you, right? Well, what else also saps that energy, D, is when you keep trying to do the same thing and it's not working, right? We were talking about yes. this on the text thread, right? And so, yes, that's absolutely part of it. But what also saps it is that like, hey, we've done this like five times and we're not getting an open look off of it. And that's something that I think that is addressable. Um, and I think very explainable by a lot of like kind of how we're playing and, and all of that, but all of that is very toxic stew, you know, to be able to, when it's that combination of like, Hey, we don't have the horses and the things that we're trying, like aren't creating good opportunities. I sent you guys this clip in, in, in the text thread the other day, cause it was JJ Reddick and he was talking on his podcast and he had brought up this idea about like buy-in and belief. This is really important. And yeah. And he brought up an example about when he was with Philly and he talked about their defensive coverages. And he brought up that one season um, and he talked about Lloyd Pierce. Lloyd Pierce was the coach of the Hawks for a little bit, but he's been an assistant around the league for a long time. And he talked about Lloyd Pierce ran our ran our defense mm -hmm. when we were in Philly one year. And we basically adopted all of these principles and like we ice screens and we did this, 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 and the other. We played a drop, like we had our fundamentals and we were a top three defense. We were the third ranked defense, like in the entire year league. Now that team had some real defensive talent, right? Ben Simmons at, at his peak, Joel Embiid, they were good, but there was real alignment and the players mm -hmm. are seeing success. And that allows them to then go and be like, this is working. We're going to be great. Yeah, they believe in it. He, yes. He said, and then the next year, we started to force ball screens middle. And he's like, the scheme changed. Yeah, he was explaining they didn't want to give up as many threes. And basically, the idea was that their five, Embiid, most of the time, would be the one that was cleaning up everything around the rim. And so they're letting guys go middle off of pick and rolls and trying to take away threes. Yes, in order to basically play more actions like two on two, and he called it the Batman scheme. That's right. And basically, in this example, I'm assuming Embiid would be Batman because he's the guy who is doing everything while everyone else is basically staying connected to to their own guys. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, it wasn't working. And we were giving, and he was just like, so like we're playing this style, and like he's like, and Kemba Walker gives us sixty. And he's like, and all of these guards are going off against us. And ultimately, so the players are starting to be like, have their own ideas. Like, hey, why are, and starting to question, why are we forcing guys middle off of screen and roll? Why aren't we icing pick and rolls? Why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing it this way? And JJ basically just talked about how NBA players are smart. And when things start to go wrong, they're going to lose belief. And that lack of belief comes in all kinds of different forms, mm -hmm. Pete. 
Darvin got asked a little bit about this in post game about like whether or not guys were getting the shots that they should be taking or like like and he started talking about guys second guessing a little bit and like not shooting it and then now they're covered up again and we're not getting as good of shots and so I want to use that not necessarily that comment but just this whole idea that we've just been discussing or that I've been discussing because I'm talking to myself I want to use that as a springboard into some of the rewatch work that you did last night and this morning around what you're seeing with with the Lakers offense so let's go to break here and on the other side I want to hear you talk we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So before I get to last night's game specifically, I'd like to talk about just a couple of stats that are overall indicative of kind of where we're at. And so uh, to some degree, every team in the league runs five out offense, right? In terms of there there will be some possessions where you're spinning deep corner, got two, two wings. There's a very common action called a uh, wide action that they started in Atlanta during the Budenholzer years of which uh, Darwin was a part of where you set a screen in the middle of the floor for a shooter that comes off of it, like a little quick pin screen that they can shoot or come off of. Um, but yeah, five out is something that is pervasive around the league to an extent. But in terms of the teams that like that's the main thing that they do. I've talked a lot about about this group of, of teams of Miami, Golden State, Sacramento, uh, Phoenix, and the Denver Nuggets. They're the teams that I think, along with the Lakers, that have uh, that run a lot of five out. And so, 
passes per game. This is a this is a, a very simple stat, but I think an important one. So the Sacramento Kings, one of those five out teams. Every team I'm going to bring up here is a primarily five out team. The Sacramento Kings lead the NBA with 322 passes per game. The Phoenix Suns and Golden State Warriors are tied for third at 303. So three of the top five teams are in this group of six teams of which the Lakers are one uh, in terms of passes per game. Eighth is the Denver Nuggets at 293, and 12th is the Miami Heat at 285. So all of the other five teams are in the top 12 in passes per game, right? The Lakers currently rank 28th in the NBA in this respect with 258 passes per game. And so stylistically, again, I'm not even trying to illustrate results at this point, just like we do it differently than other teams do. Another uh, stat that backs this up, I think, is pick and roll frequency. These type of teams run pick and rolls typically less often than other teams. And so in terms of pick and roll frequency, these are where those teams rank. The Denver Nuggets are last in the NBA. They run the fewest pick and rolls 22% of the time. Uh, The Suns are 26th. The Kings are 24th, Golden State is 22nd, and Miami is 16th. So none of the other teams even rank in the top half of the NBA in terms of pick and roll frequency. And the Lakers run pick and rolls 36.7% of the time, which ranks sixth in the NBA. And so on in both of those stats, right, passes per game and how often you're running ball screens, it's very different than other five out style teams do it. Right. And so one of the goals of this podcast and all the just LFR work in general is it's, it's very easy to be like, Oh, well, this is what I would do and who I would play and what scheme I would run and this and that. And we do plenty of that certainly on this pod. Right. I don't want to act like we don't do that. But one of the things that I want to kind of get fans to understand better, just kind of like the decisions that coaches have to make the things that they're weighing, uh, and then just basketball theory in general. And I am a former high school coach. I don't want to act like I know everything about (laughs) coaching theory or anything like that, right? But from my basketball education, one of the big things about if you're going to go four out or five out are the single gaps versus the double gaps. And how often do you want to attack off of the dribble? And I'm not aware of a team that runs five out the way that we are currently running five out. And so that's Part of the reason why I feel this, like, I would love if if there is a basketball explanation for it. I learn something new every year, right? It's not to say that this does not exist, but when it's the theory is like, I don't know of any other team that does this. And then the results are really bad. I am left with this feeling that like, we're really on the wrong track with this. And it's not something where it's like, oh, we're just like, shots aren't falling and they're not right. Like we're missing open shots too, for sure. But I think part of it, part of that is also a a lacking rhythm of which the types of shots guys are getting are not supposed to come out of a lot of these type of things. So anyway, before I get into the specifics of last night's game, D I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on that is that there's, that's that type of dissonance and misalignment that we talk about sometimes that I'm, I'm really concerned about. No, these are important points. There's, there's this, I'm, I'm going to bring up chess again because 
the idea of there being principles to things is is super interesting to me. And I talked a f- bunch of pods ago about like the chess engines and like how engines will help you develop new theory as to like what's possible. And mm-hmm. like and and then based off of that, you start to see like what the combination and sequence of moves are in order to get you closer to a quote unquote winning position where then it's like all your chess instincts take over and then suddenly I'm better. Right. Mm-hmm. And now we're in the end game portion and I'm better at this than you are. That's and sort of the I'm scheme of then- chess, right? That's the, the schemes of chess where once you put yourself in an advantageous position, you knowing the basic principles of it allow you to take advantage of that. 100%. And so there's this guy watch who who does a lot of chess content and he's really good at sort of explaining things in layman terms and he makes things super interesting and whatnot but one of the things that he always says is it's like like know your openings and don't try to like make up your own stuff like like chess has been around for hundreds of years man Uh Like, and some of the most basic stuff, like moving your pawn, moving this pawn at this time, and then moving your knight this way after that encounter to whatever the other guy is, is doing. And you played chess, Pete. Yeah. Like, this is all classic stuff. Yeah. This is something where chess openings, it's basically if white starts, right? But a lot of it is based off of how black reacts on the first move. But basically- sure. If so, there's the Sicilian defense, right? Where it's like yeah. white moves the king pawn up two spaces, and then black moves the bishop pawn up two spaces. And what that does is that triggers a sequence in both chess players' minds where it's like yes. the next eight moves, the next 10 moves are already mapped out in terms of like, and if it's you deviate from that, you are going to get rocked. It's all theory. And if you start to deviate from the theory and say, you know what? Like, oh, they're playing the Sicilian defense. I'm just going to start playing like I'm playing an an English opening. Uh And it'll be like, no, bro, like you're going to get killed right now because black is going to get an early advantage. And the the pieces or the squares on the board that they then control are going to give them advantage in the middle game and and then in the end game. Mm -hmm. And you're going to lose because they have established the spots on the floor in which they have in which they have now gained control. So now I'm going to bring it back to basketball. The Lakers are running this alignment and they're putting, and this is what you were speaking to Pete, and they are aligning their pieces, their players on certain parts of the floor or the board. And based off of these access points in which they have placed their players, there are certain spots on the floor in which they should be exhibiting control. And in contrast to that, there are places on the floor in which the defense is stronger based off of where your players are positioned. And one of the things the Lakers are doing is they are attacking in places in which the defense is stronger. Yes. And it's resulting in an underperformance of the team's offense. Do you have an example of that, D? Do you have an example of... uh so there, so I'm I'm actually going to give you an an example of of a play from from last night's game, and I think that this can then lead us into some of the stuff that that you saw last last night. And I'm going to give you an, an example of a play that quote unquote worked. Okay, so we scored. Austin has the ball at the top, and he's the single guard up high. And there's two players on each side of the court, right, in order to create the five out alignment. There's a player on the right corner and a player on the right shoulder. And Austin is sort of veering that way. 
the Lakers are running a pick and roll with, I believe, the other opposite wing that's at the shoulder. He comes up to set a pick and roll, but the Lakers have to set and reset the action, right? And this is what happens. Austin then goes into a single gap in order to try to create a shot with the roll man rolling, but he ends up going towards with his dribble to the side of the floor where the two other players are. So it's just like, there's help everywhere around him. And he ends up taking a pretty contested elbow jumper with the roll man's defender sort of in the vicinity and then two other help defenders sticking to their own men that are on the same side of the court. So Austin has no outlets anyway, Mm -hmm. right? The roll man is covered up. The other guy is opposite. And the two guys that are on his side of the court are all covered up. So the only really shot that he has is this pull-up jumper that he takes. The pull-up jumper hits front rim, hits the backboard and rolls in. Two points. Congratulations, you scored. You just scored on a play where everything was literally covered. There was literally no advantage gain. And the Lakers had to create a shot against basically a setup where the defense is just like, we've got everything else locked down. You have no outlet pass. And this is where Austin, a bunch, he's ended up coming to a jump stop and playing off two feet and then being like, there's no one open. Yeah. What, like, where am I going to go? And if you want to go back even a couple of games, the Lakers did this exact thing to Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. on multiple possessions. Jimmy overpenetrated and he's just like, everyone's covered. I've got to turn around, put my back to the basket and literally throw the ball back out to near half court in order to reset the offense. And so it's an example, Pete, of like the place to attack there was not towards the side where multiple defenders are, it's probably not even to attack off of the dribble at all. It's not to try to go into the paint where I have no release valves as a passer. There was literally no advantage gained and the Lakers attacked where the defense was strong. Now, they won that possession, but if you do that over and over and over again, you're not gonna win those those possessions and you're gonna end up being 28th Mm -hmm. in offense over the course of an eight-game sample. They're not producing good shots enough, Pete, and they seem to not have a good understanding of how to create good shots within this this offensive alignment. So I kick it back to you here because that's sort of what I'm seeing in in a big picture. I think that's spot on, and let's go to break here and come back and really zero zero in on Austin and when teams switch against us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So in the postgame, Mike asked LeBron uh, about the slow starts and then specifically the offense. And LeBron didn't get into a ton, but one thing that he did mention was that their switches really stalled us. They, they, they stood us up, meaning that switching, as I've mentioned uh, several times on the pod, is intended to kind of neutralize your pick and roll game. And 
that they did an excellent job of of doing that. And the most common way, particularly for this Lakers team, to attack that has been to match up hunt. And that's true around the league, but it's something that we do a ton of. Um, and Houston, I think, does a really good job of like scramming screens. And there was just a level of urgency that was there in them that like we weren't even close to. But we are not very intentional in terms of taking advantage of switches. So like one thing that Darvin mentioned in post game yesterday was he wants us to get downhill more. Now, I would argue that it's more difficult to get downhill in single gap, five out style of offense. But it's also a personnel thing, D. And I think this comes to one of the concepts, I think, of this year's team is being challenged right now, which is, can you give Austin his own unit to run, right? We saw a lot of great on-ball play from him last year. And there were stretches where, like, LeBron was out. I remember the Orlando game where he had, like, 35 points, and he was on the ball a ton. And I don't want to act like he was never good when other good ball handlers weren't on the floor. But most of the time, his best on-ball work was when there were two other guys on the floor that you also had to worry about, and he wasn't drawing the top defensive assignment from other teams. This year, a lot of the concept of the team, uh, especially early on, was that remember LeBron and D'Lo were going out of the game at the same time. It was like, okay, Austin's going to run the bench unit with AD and the units with Austin on and D'Lo and, and LeBron off have an offensive rating of like 84. They're not scoring at all. And he's missing a ton of passing reads and is uh, probably the guy who's over penetrating the most. But when you think about the idea of getting downhill and beating guys in one-on-one type of situations, which switching forces more of, we have way less personnel like that on the perimeter than we did last year, right? Like early in the season, it was Russ and Lonnie. Dennis was a big part of that. Dennis is kind of a switch buster in that you put a big slow big on him. He's going to get downhill and, you know, hit the turbo button, get all the way to the rim. Lonnie, right? It was very good at this. We don't really have the personnel to do that. Even with Gabe Vincent back, LeBron's really our one dribble penetration type of guy. And so both in terms of scheme and personnel, we are not like a one-on-one attack type of team, but we do have advantages down low when teams do that. And one of the things that really stands out to me in the box score and and on the tape is Christian Wood eats up switches. He eats up little guys. And in the post, he had one shot in 21 minutes. And do you remember the shot that he uh, took? The one where he takes, like, it's, we have so many possessions like this 2D. We're like, we don't even pass the ball once. And it's just like, he bumps into Shingun and it's like this one-legged- he attacked him single gap from top of the floor. Yeah. Right? So single gap drive. Yeah. There's literally going to be no outlet pass. And it's not like I'm expecting Wood to pass too much out of that situation <laughs> anyway. Like right. if there was a guy dipping from the dunker spot, maybe he would hit like a little pocket bounce pass sure, or something. High, low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But otherwise, he's going to drive. So he's driving into single gap, bump Shangun with the shoulder, takes that like Euro step into like to trying to create a space and then shoots this fading leaner. I don't mm-hmm. think I've seen him hit that shot once no. all season and he's taken it multiple times. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a bad shot. It's a bad possession. We have so many shots. Like we take so many shots where it's like, you are not open. Like, and that's part of coaching <laughs> yes. too, right? Is like, we had a whole pod called pass the ball, right? We are 28th in passes. Anyway, when a team is switching like that, especially if you don't have downhill guards that are like neither D'Lo nor Austin are guys where it's like, okay, they got a bigger guy on them. That bigger guy has to take an extra step back as to not get blown by by them, especially in single gap type of offense. But 
we have to know where our, our advantage is at. And a guy like Christian Wood not getting a lot of those shots. Uh, I thought Rui managed this best, right? And part of it was Rui was playing harder than anybody else, really, and has a level yeah. of force and physicality that, um, that you know, he was really productive on the offensive end kind of as a result of this. But we are not – there are a lot of possessions where we kind of have a natural advantage that we don't go to. And so there's just a lack of intentionality, even in our matchup hunting, that I think, you know, I'm I don't know. I'm really concerned about, and I think that it plays into some weaknesses on the roster in terms of we just don't have switch busters the way that that we did before. They definitely don't have it from the guard spot. That's what I mean. Yeah. They just don't. Right. And so the best players who are going to be able to hammer a switch, it's literally going to be the hammer players. So it's going to be LeBron. It's going to be AD. It's going to be Rui. And it's going to be Wood. And this goes back to, and this is, This is a branch on this whole tree of ideas about playing bigger in general, right? Is that playing bigger is going to allow you, the Lakers, to stress the other team's defensive strength from a perimeter and like size talent aspect, right? A lot of teams aren't going to have defenders across the board that in a... LeBron, AD, Rui lineup that there's a third one of those dudes to say, we've got three of these. We've got one each for all of you guys. A LeBron, AD, Wood. We've got three of these. Right. That's part of the reason why that group is just insanely. That's so funny, too, with this Lakers season and as bad as we've been and barely ever ahead. The bigger groups have this insane plus minus that as we get more sample with the smaller ones, it's like, I don't know, just very obvious to me the direction we got to go in. One hundred percent. And so the idea of switching, this is the antidote to five out offense all of the time. Five out offenses require they run a lot of screen actions, not necessarily on ball actions. Right. But even when they are on on ball actions, it's to pick and pop, dribble and pitch again, yep. get the defense. But there's motion right? and like like that yes. movement, not just the one on one play, but it's the whole thing. Get every get the defense shifted. Yes. I watch a lot of Warriors basketball. They call that like putting you in the blender. Yeah. Right. Because you are then getting spun around, spun around. And the Lakers saw this firsthand when they tried to do it against like in standard like drop coverages or playing ad higher up on the ball or playing Rui higher up yeah, on even the ball when we played big right remember we had like Rui. we were trying to play bigger and it's like i guess Rui's guarding clay and clay's like i'm the best one of the best ever running off of screens come run yes. with me Rui. and it was just it, it wouldn't work yes and so the antidote to that is like okay well we're gonna switch all all of these actions and that's what made those durant warriors yes. so special is like durant was he was the switch buster. It's just like, oh, you want to switch? Well, then guess what? Like switch. And then now you've got a 6'6 guy guarding me. I'm 6'10". It doesn't matter. I'm shooting I'm shooting over the top of you every single time. And then when you've got the matchup that you want, it forces the defense to send extra help and put two on the ball, which is what the goal of switching is supposed to eliminate anyway. You switch because you don't want to have to put two on the ball, right? Right. It's just like, there is no more advantage. You're not driving by me. I don't have to help. But a a, a lot of coaches will tell you that the whole point of offense is to get the defense into rotation. So whenever you have to dedicate two players to one guy, that just leaves the the math elsewhere where you, you put that team into rotation. 
And so it was interesting to me, Pete, and I don't know, I haven't been tracking the, these numbers from, from game to game, but before the Houston game, LeBron's post-up numbers were very low. Like his volume was very low. Mm-hmm. But against Houston, he went to the post a ton. Mm-hmm. He was posting a lot. And it was, and that was LeBron's like computer brain, whether he's doing it because he sees it or, or he's doing it because intuitively he knows that this is the response to what they're doing. It's just like, well, you're switching screens or I'm not even going to do anything. I'm just going to dribble right into a post up because this is where, this is where we're going to create reliable yeah. somewhat credible and reliable offense. And it was the same with Rui. It was just like, okay, well, like we're going to get you touches in the post. And so there's a lot of like just scatteredness out there to evaluate. I want to try to bring it back focused because I've been leaning more and more towards this idea of like based off of the dissonance between the stats that you cited earlier mm-hmm. and the style of play that the team is is going to, I'm coming around to the idea that the five out stuff needs to be more of a secondary pitch. And I mentioned this the other day mm-hmm. than a primary one. And I'd like to see the Lakers start to do more four out stuff rather than as much five out stuff as they're doing because they just don't seem comfortable mm-hmm. in it. I'm, I'm not here to tell the coaches this is what's right because like you, I'm not an NBA level head coach. But the dissonance between how they're playing and the results and the style of the theory with good offensive players, be, right? Like these are it's, yes. you look at like, hey, that guy's a good offensive player. That guy, right? You keep looking at these lineups and it's like, oh, but they can't score. Like that tells you something's wrong. It does tell me that something's wrong. And so I'm looking for solutions here. And to me, it seems to be pointing in a natural direction, right? And this is both, I think, in congruence with, but also totally separate from the injuries. I think if they were a fully healthy team, I think their offense would look better just because they would have more transition opportunities. They would get more early offense mm-hmm. stuff. They would be getting more defensive stops. They'd have more natural physical advantages. They'd have better players out there. Yeah. Yes. But this isn't the preseason anymore. Teams are scouting the Lakers and they are attacking their weaknesses and they are loading up where they know to be strong and the Lakers instincts offensively are sending them to the places where the te- where the defense is already strong. And until the Lakers stop doing that as much as they've been doing, I don't expect this quantum leap offensively. That's right. And there needs to be changes. It, yeah, that, that's like, where the like, oh, it's early. It's only been eight games kind of falls flat is like we've been behind on the scoreboard pretty much every game. And even in this level of sample, like if things are on track, you're going to get a mix, right, of like, hey, this worked a little bit, you know, this game, but not as much the other game. We have like some very stark trends. There are several stats where it's like the Lakers are the first team since the 1955 Syracuse Na- Nationals to suck this bad. Yeah. It's like when you start bringing up the Fort Wayne <laughs> Pistons into stats, you know what I'm saying? Like we've had, we've had when a lot was of the those. Kansas City Monarchs. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. yeah, this it's is bad. Like, wait, wait, wait. No yes. one stunk this bad in a minute at this specific thing. Like these to me are like big time red flags, right? And so that's why if if 
you look at when we've been good too, it's been say that Phoenix game, right? Which wasn't the whole game. It was pretty much just the fourth quarter. We were a stampede, yes. right? It was a big ass team with LeBron, Seawood, and AD. And they were getting stops on defense, being tall as hell, contesting Kevin Durant, and then getting out into transition. And so even there, our half court offense, our half court offense wasn't a big part of the story. Uh, against right. the Clippers, we go big with the three big lineup, right? And we go on a run. We're on the other end. It's Austin and AD on one side of the floor, basically running offense, but that's not, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the five out type of stuff. It's two man, classic two man game, right? And so every time that we've been like, all right, we got to, we got to really go out and win this game. We've gone to something else in a way that I think speaks to that, like we are not creating opportunities out of this. And I think that we've touched on several of the reasons why. I I have thoughts on the on the switching back to four out. That I the short answer is I agree with you. The longer answer, which I think you agree with me, is that we need to get more organized and yes. five out the way that it's that it's. And my understanding is that it's supposed to be played is a vehicle for that, but it's not the only one. And so we're going to wrap up here. Um, but let's be let's come back tomorrow. Talk a little more about this. Maybe get Mike on as as well. Um, but the Lakers are in a bad spot on offense, and I'm really glad that in a game where the Lakers were missing so many players, and it's very easy to write off like, ah, of course they lost that game. Of course they couldn't do this, this, and that. When you actually look at a lot of the players on the floor, it's like, hey, they should be on good on offense, even in this game that we're consistently not. I think it really speaks to a problem on the offensive end. So uh, we will be back tomorrow, maybe talk a little more about this, but just more Lakers in general. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Bryant, unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.